Yeah, the old podcast starting music. Glad to be with you guys. It is me. I'm back for another edition of the We Tackle Life podcast. I'm Bruce Hooley, and I want to apologize right off the top for the uh, lack of podcasts. I don't really have a good excuse. There is no good excuse. I'm uh, I'm feeling a personal conviction that um, a couple of you guys have uh, mentioned to me, hey, when are we going to have another podcast? And I just have to make this more of a priority. I have to show you that I appreciate the loyalty you show in listening, and I'm still blown away the number of people who listen to the podcast as irregular as it has been, so I apologize, and I want to shout out my buddy Sam. I see Sam at the gym from time to time, and Sam says he listens to the podcast while he takes a walk in the morning. He's um, he's retired, I believe, and um, I met Sam a couple years ago. Sam's a good man. Sam knows Spiels, and... Uh, Sam, I, I got you a podcast this morning, so I hope you enjoy it. I hope you have a good walk. I hope it's a nice day, and I uh, look forward to the next time that I see you. Okay, so we got a lot to talk about because we have NFL football. We have the college football weekend. Week two is wild. Uh, man, the Big Ten is bad, aside from Ohio State. This feels like a podcast I've done a million times talking about how bad the Big Ten is. But you know what? Michigan is decent. I don't know if they're good, but they're decent, and they're interesting because they named a starting quarterback. And it's uh, J.J. McCarthy, and that's a little bit interesting, so we'll get into all of that as well, and we'll have a faith portion of the podcast at the end, as we always do. So thanks for joining us, and a reminder that uh, we could not exist without the patience and support of our sponsors, Hemisphere Coffee Roaster, the longest-standing sponsor of the We Tackle Life podcast. Really great people. They are located in Mechanicsburg, but for all you care, they're located right on your front doorstep, because that's where you'll find their coffee when they ship it direct to you. They ship on orders of $30 or more, and you can get more for your money when you use the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps. You get 15% off. Paul, Grace, Andy, and the Hemisphere team do an awesome job. Their coffee is phenomenal. So is their mission. They buy their coffee direct from growers around the world. So you get coffee you couldn't get from uh, any other outlet, and you know that it's doing great things in the world. So thanks to Hemisphere, and thanks for you guys supporting them because I know a lot of you have become... Uh, repeat customers, and that's a very, very good thing. Hemisphere Coffee Roasters, uh, 15% off promo code We Tackle Life. Order online at hemisphericoffeeroasters.com. All right, I got to confess, I didn't uh, spend my Saturday glued to Ohio State and Arkansas State. I'm not intrigued at all by the um, multiplicity of bad games on Ohio State's schedule, and some of that is not the fault of the Buckeyes. They're just really good. And they're going to make a lot of teams look really bad this year. They're going to make one look bad this weekend, Toledo, 7 o'clock kickoff in Ohio Stadium. They're going to make Wisconsin look bad the week after. There's just such a vast chasm between every aspect of Ohio State football and football around the Big Ten. Let's start with coaching. I think Ryan Day is a tremendous coach. I think he's very innovative. I don't think he's perfect. I think he has flaws. I think he loves his passing game a little bit too much, but that's why I think the way they won the Notre Dame game showed growth to me in Ryan Day in that he has to become at peace with winning games the way Jim Trestle used to win them. And I used to uh, comment, and I think coined the phrase, a Trestle blowout. A Trestle blowout was a game in which Ohio State had a two-score lead and you had time to get the ball only once. That was what Ohio State did to Notre Dame by running the football late, was inflict a trestle blowout. It is like death by boa constrictor. I mean, that kind of dominance up front 
late in the game that Ohio State showed against Notre Dame just squeezes the life out of you, and it takes your very will away. Now, you don't need that kind of physical dominance up front to beat Arkansas State. You won't need it for Toledo. You probably won't need it for Wisconsin. I doubt you'll need it for anybody like Iowa or Penn State. You may need it for Michigan. You may, but you may be able to just throw it all over the place against Michigan, which I think is what Ryan Day loves to do. And Ohio State can clearly do that, whether they have Jackson Smith and Jigba or not. But I don't think it's fair to really make any kind of pronouncements about this Ohio State offense until Jackson Smith and Jigba is out there and is healthy and you get to the point where you don't worry about him being hurt anymore. You have to worry about him being hurt now because he's hurt now. So I presume Jackson Smith and Jigba will be back. I don't think it made any sense to play him against Arkansas State, so they didn't. Doubt it makes any sense for them to play him against Toledo. He is a dynamic player, but he's not the only one they have. Marvin Harrison is obviously dynamic. They have other guys who, when they are third, fourth on the uh, priority list of the opposing defense, then they're dynamic. And so you saw that in the opener against Notre Dame with uh, Xavier Johnson catching a winning touchdown pass. Uh, guys can be really good players if they are not as high up on the priority list as they would be if Jackson Smith and Jigba is out and you don't have to worry about him. Notre Dame really didn't have to worry about him, and so I attribute some of Ohio State's struggles against them to the lack of Jackson Smith and Jigba. All right, uh, everything else with Ohio State is good. I can't make any judgment about the defense until I see him play somebody, and I really don't think I'm going to see him play anybody worthy of note until Michigan. Michigan's offense is good, but Michigan's offense is not as bulletproof injury-wise as Ohio State's offense is. I think Michigan is, you know, okay. Uh, McCarthy's a nice player. McCarthy throws a really good ball against Hawaii. Will he be under pressure as they play in succeeding weeks? Sure, he will be, more than he is against Hawaii, and will the J.J. McCarthy, Cade McNamara position battle now mess up the dynamic with Michigan? It's one thing to be striving to win the job. It's another to have won the job and to deliver on expectations and to deal with the incompletions and mistakes that a quarterback inevitably makes when he has another guy who's breathing down his throat. For his entire time at Michigan, J.J. McCarthy has been the guy chasing. Now he's the guy being chased. When you make a mistake as the guy chasing, you maybe think about it and obsess about it and worry about it, but you don't frame it in the context of that mistake is going to cost me the starting job because you don't have the starting job. Now he has the starting job. So it's the first time he'll have to play with the pressure of, I threw a bad pick, I missed a read, I fumbled the ball. And what does that do to him psychologically? Quarterbacks who are looking over their shoulder, worrying about their competition, are quarterbacks who are not as good as they can be when they don't have to worry about their competition. C.J. Stroud doesn't worry about his competition. He doesn't need to. That's why it was always bad for Ohio State when they had a quarterback battle or an uncertain quarterback situation. It always, always made their starter less than he could have been when he was no longer looking over his shoulder. Craig Krenzel as a junior, was a better quarterback than he was as a senior because as a senior, people started this nonsensical Scott McMullen thing where he might be replacing Krenzel. That was never really a real thing, but it nevertheless got in Craig's head. 
it certainly got in the head of Justin Zwick when he was starting and Troy was just a better player, but it got in the head of Troy for a while when he was trying to win the job over Justin Zwick. It got in the head of Bobby Hoying when Brett Powers was lurking behind him, and it definitely got in the head of Stanley Jackson when Joe Germain was by, behind him, and it got in the head of Joe when he got the start against Michigan in 1996. So the starter's never as good as he can be when he has a guy behind him who he perceives to be a viable threat. And that's now the situation at Michigan with J.J. McCarthy. We'll see how he handles it. He's never had to handle it before. As for the rest of the Big Ten, as for the rest of college football on Saturday, listen, (laughs) we got a lot of bad football teams out there who are typically semi-decent. I don't think Wisconsin is ever, you know, a great team, but you can't lose at home to Washington State. I mean, that's really a bad loss. I don't think Iowa's very good. You can't lose to Iowa State and be unable to score touchdowns. Um, who else? Oh, man. Nebraska. They fired Scott Frost, which I get it. Scott Frost is not getting the job done. Um, that's one that puzzles me. I do not understand why Scott Frost could be a really great coach at Central Florida and couldn't get it done in Nebraska. My hunch is... That's way more a Nebraska problem than it is a Scott Frost problem. And I read today, well, they've recruited well. Really? They have? They've recruited well? I've watched them play for years. They don't look like they have any players. They don't look like they have any fast players. They don't look like they have anybody who could play at Ohio State. Now, you say, well, Ohio State's really good. They are, but Nebraska's supposedly in the same conference, and Nebraska used to have as great a tradition as Ohio State. They certainly don't now, and you don't have one guy who could start for Ohio State? That's a problem. So uh, I'm not so sure that's a Scott Frost problem. That might be a Nebraska problem, and I wondered when they joined the Big Ten, like, how are they going to fit in? How are they going to win? Kids really want to go to Nebraska to play in the Big Ten because typically they've been getting guys from California. They've been getting guys from Texas. They've been getting guys from Big 12 areas. I don't think they know who they are and what they want to be, and I don't think they have a Big Ten recruiting niche at Nebraska. So good luck to them. I have heard the name Matt Campbell. I I don't know if Matt Campbell wants to coach in the Big Ten. Uh, now it would be more attractive to Matt Campbell at Iowa State than I think it ever would be before because I wouldn't want to hedge my bets on the future of the Big 12 if I'm Matt Campbell. He's a guy who I think has always – kind of thought he might end up at Ohio State, Michigan, or Notre Dame. None of those appear to be, I know what you're thinking, Marcus Freeman's 0-3, Bruce. Yeah, uh, none of those appear to be immediately possible right now. I think Matt Campbell's a really good football coach, and I think Matt Campbell would be a great hire at Nebraska. I just don't know if he hasn't left Iowa State for some of the places that have tried to hire him, including the Detroit Lions then I don't know why Matt Campbell would leave Iowa State for Nebraska. But maybe he likes it. You know, Maybe he wants to be in the Big Ten. Maybe he's just tired of Iowa State. You never know what the dynamic is. But Matt Campbell, to me, is the best coach that they could hire at Nebraska. Elsewhere in the Big Ten, I see nothing. I watch Penn State. I wasn't impressed. I watch Michigan State. I'm not impressed. Okay, big deal. Big deal. You thumped Akron. Okay, so what? Um, Ohio State will roll all the way into the Michigan game and – We'll see how many games Michigan loses up until then. If Michigan beats them, Michigan will obviously be the representative in the Big Ten championship game from the division that Ohio State and Michigan are in. But 
Would I say right now that if Ohio State lost to Michigan, they couldn't get in the playoff? No, I wouldn't say that because I don't see another team out there. The team that I see out there in college football that I'm intrigued by, but they don't look to me like a team that can be undefeated, is USC. Now, make no mistake, USC is going to be a force in college football, a major force in college football under Lincoln Riley. I do think it's possible at USC to recruit a defense and build a defense, much more so than it was possible or at least uh, doable at Oklahoma. At Oklahoma, their defense was always eh, eh, average, okay? At USC, you can select, and Lincoln Riley is cool, and Lincoln Riley is going to be bringing back all the celebs on the sideline, Will Ferrell, Snoop Dogg. USC is going to be the hot place. They're just going to be the hot place. They are. And they're going to get ridiculous talent. But so does Bama. So does Ohio State. So does Georgia. But USC is going to be the force. Now, is USC, once they join the Big Ten, still going to be able to capture those kids from the West Coast? And I think so. I don't see why the USC joining the Big Ten would be a turnoff to kids who want to go play. They want to go play for SC. They want to go play for dun, 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 greatest fight song in history. Um, they just do. Hollywood, I mean, they're gonna they're gonna crush it. Lincoln Riley's gonna crush it at USC. And they're really good right now. Jordan Addison's really good. Troy Dye's really good. Caleb Williams is really good. But I don't know that they have the defense yet. Uh, could they go undefeated? Sure. Sure, they could. But they got a game with Utah coming up in the middle of October. That's on the road at Utah. That'll be a tough one. Uh, They should not have any trouble beating Notre Dame at home. Uh, Otherwise, you know, could they stumble somewhere? Eh, They have Washington State at home, I think. They do, yeah. So uh, I don't see they beat Stanford pretty handily. That was 41-28 to was the final, but it really wasn't that close. So right now, if I had to pick four teams for the playoff, I'd pick Ohio State. Alabama, USC, and Georgia. That's who I'd pick. Clemson, Clemson's got the quarterback thing going on. They've got a guy who's a freshman, and he's dynamic, and he's really good, and he's a fan favorite. Of course he is because he's the backup. And they've got DJ Uyunglele, who was the all that coming out of high school, but he's just not quite. DJ Uyunglele reminds me of Terrell Pryor. Like, you look at him, and he's a big, strong athlete, and you think, man, this dude ought to be able to just throw the football through a wall and shed tacklers. He's like Superman out there. But there's just a little something missing with him, and it wouldn't surprise me. Dabo's made the move midseason before. He did it with Trevor Lawrence, and he might do it this year. But Clemson, I don't know. Could they weather the storm and go undefeated and get in? They could because I could see USC losing a game, and I could see Bama losing a game. Bama Got by by the skin of its teeth against Texas. Texas was very fired up. Bama does not have receivers. Now, that'll be something to bear watching. Can Bama develop receivers on the fly during the season? That's a hard thing to do in the SEC where they have really good corners and really good pass rushers and really good defenses. I don't know if they can do that. Right now, they're not running the ball, and they just turned that game over to Bryce Young on Saturday. And he won it for him. And the one thing Bama does have that they typically have not had is a kicker. They got a really good kicker. So we'll see. 
I don't think Bama's going to go undefeated, but I'd be silly to eliminate them. They're in a the playoff every year. So I'm going to stick with that. Georgia looks really good. I'm still not a believer in Georgia. I wouldn't expect that they would be undefeated either. But Ohio State and uh, Ohio State is the team that I would pick right now that have the best chance to be undefeated at the end of the season because they just – I'm talking about the regular season and the championship game of the conference – because they're just not going to play anybody that's on par with them, talent-wise. Bama will, Georgia will, USC will. But Ohio State will not. So that's why I would pick Ohio State right now as my favorite to get to the playoff undefeated and to be the number one seed. All right, another uh, shout-out to a sponsor, Willis Spangler Starling, my attorney firm of choice. I know you don't always need an attorney. I just hope when I talk about Willis Spangler Starling that I'm planting a seed with you that you will remember they're just really good people. They're so easy to deal with. I mean, I go over there and hang out because I'm friends with uh, Stan, one of the partners, and I've gotten to know a couple of the other partners. But when I'm in that end of town and I need a place to stop in, work for a little bit, I can stop in there. You can't do that. Don't, don't, don't take it like I'm. That's part of their. That's part of their uh, setup. But I'm just saying, like, I feel comfortable going in. If you'd ever told me, hey, you'll feel so comfortable, you stop by and hang out at an attorney's office, I'd have been like, no, 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 and. Uh, they're a they're a big firm, but they're not a huge firm, and they're big enough to be powerful, big enough to have expertise and acumen across a wide variety of cases and law genres. But they're not stuffy and suit and tie, and you know, speak over you and things like that. They're just really great people. I'm I'm so impressed with them, and I believe you will be as well. Willis Spangler Starling is online at willisattorneys.com. Willisattorneys.com. Will's estate planning, family law, personal injury, uh, probate, uh, social security, disability. Did I say that? Anyway, that's one of their specialties. So check them out. WillisAttorneys.com, W-I-L-L-I-S, WillisAttorneys.com. Tell them you heard about it on the We Tackle Life podcast. Okay. Uh, Little Ohio State basketball note. Uh, We've had a decommitment. I know it's a week old, but I'm a big Ohio State basketball fan, so I never tire of talking about them. George Washington III who uh, was from Louisville and then transferred to Dayton Chaminade Julien and uh, was at Ohio Stadium for the Notre Dame game and then decommitted. Okay, so a lot of people are not surprised by this. Uh, I've watched Washington on tape. He looks like a player. Um, I think, and I'm hearing from people, that he was a little nervous about where he fit in playing time-wise. I told you uh, last week that I did not want and do not want, I have not changed my opinion, I do not want Bronny James at Ohio State. Uh, Juice not worth the squeeze right there. So uh, now what do they do? They have another kid from Minnesota that was at that Notre Dame game. Uh, They're probably going to add somebody. The guy they will not be adding is Dalen Swain. I'm not brokenhearted, but I'm... I'm I'm heart cracked. My heart is cracked, not broken. Over Dalen Swain going to Xavier. Because I'll be stunned if Dalen Swain does not turn out to A, be a really good player, and B, come back to break our hearts at some point in time. Because that kid, I just, wow, he's impressive. 6'8", 6'7", 6'8", just fluid athlete, great passer, super passer. Needs to put some weight on. Um, Xavier's probably a better immediate spot for him than Ohio State. He'll step right in, play for Sean Miller, and be a great player. He'll be an all-Big East player. I think Dalen Swain's an NBA player. 
the reason why the George Washington D commitment stings is because when they took the commitment from George Washington III, that precipitated Gabe Cups of Centerville going to Indiana. And that's the guy that I'm absolutely certain will someday be pictured screaming in joy over hitting a last-second shot or setting up a last-second shot for a teammate that beats Ohio State. And so we took the kid from out of state because we dangled a scholarship in front of two guys, and as so often happens, the weakest guy took it first, and the better player ends up somewhere else, and he ends up playing somewhere where they're going to be playing you. And I think Gabe Cups is a four-year player at IU. I think he's a tremendous get for IU. If you know anything about me, you know that anything that's good for Indiana is anathema to me. So I hate that George Washington came in, flirted with us for a while, and now is off, no doubt in my mind, he's going to Dayton because his dad's an assistant coach at Dayton. And um, Ohio State will be fine. But George Washington wasn't going to play much, if at all, his freshman year at Ohio State. So he took the easy road. Gabe Cups would have found a way to get on the floor at Ohio State because he's just that good of a player. And uh, I hate that he's at Indiana. Did I mention that, that I hate that he's Indiana? Yes, I do hate that he's at Indiana. And I have such high regard for Gabe Cups as a player that it will be hard for me to hate him at Indiana. Which, again, if you know me, you know how completely out of character that is for me to admit in advance that I might actually say something good about a player from Indiana. Okay. Uh, Let me uh, spiff my friends at clarityhr.com. A lot of you guys own businesses. If you have 10 to 40 employees or three employees or whatever, and you don't really want to have your own HR person, and you don't want to get stuck for a huge HR bill every month, but you want to have a firewall against the stuff. You want to have somebody you can call and bounce HR questions off of and get great advice and know the state regulations when they come down, not after you violated them, which is too late to do anything about it. Then you want to spend the 100-ish dollars, it's less than $100, but it's about, it's 1100 and some dollars a year, 1200 bucks will cover it, 25 bucks a week to have like your own HR person and they do an HR audit and they build a handbook for you and your employees. The great thing about an employee handbook is you don't really have to fire anybody if you have an employee handbook. The people fire themselves. When you have it set forth, then it takes all the guesswork out of it. It takes all the he said, she said out of it. It gives you a process to document everything, and it's all legal and tight and just, man, I would think it'd be so worth $100 a month as a business owner to not have any headaches on HR, to not make any mistakes with your employee medical records or questions you ask in hiring or anything like that can hang you up as a business owner. $100 a month? Man, that seems like a bargain to me. ClarityHR.com. ClarityHR.com. Okay, NFL games. Uh, I'm going to confine my comments to the uh, Bengals and Browns, although shout out to Tom Brady. I love the fact that Brady beat the Cowboys and um, Dak Prescott got hurt, which I never like to see anybody get hurt. But, you know, if you cast your lot with Dak Prescott as your franchise quarterback, then you get what you get. Uh, So... It's not Dak's fault he got hurt. I'm just saying Dak Prescott's not leading you to a Super Bowl. Uh, But Tom Brady might, and that would be awesome to see Tom Brady do that at age 45. Don't hate on great. I know you're saying, ah, he's a Michigan guy. Uh, We're past that. Got to be past that. 
six Super Bowl rings. <laughs> Don't hate on great, brother. Early in his career, I used to hate on Tiger Woods, and then I got to the point where I'm like, you're stupid. You're hating on great. Don't hate on great. Tom Brady's the greatest of all time. Don't hate on him. Okay. Browns. Browns win at Carolina, and that's a good win because you don't want to lose to Baker Mayfield. And because you did what you needed to do at the end of the game, drove down, Cade York hit the 58-yard game-winning field goal. Cade York, uh, you know, can't what he say. Kid, like, got it done in the opener. Everybody loves his big leg, and he showed it. He made that sucker by 10 yards. But, <laughs> but, okay, Jacoby Brissett, wow. Um. Not exactly what I thought we'd get with him. He's not as good as I thought he'd be. He's not as good as I thought he'd be. He missed a couple guys early in the game. And, man, you can't miss those guys in the NFL. When you get them schemed open like that, you can't miss Amari Cooper. You can't miss Kareem Hunt. Um, and Jacoby Brissett had time. He had a lot of time to throw. If Baker Mayfield had the time that Jacoby Brissett had, ooh, that would have ended a lot differently for the Cleveland Browns. So going forward, Browns, Jacoby Brissett, I think the Browns are they're, they're stuck, okay? Because you can't play Deshaun Watson until week, what, 12? And he's got to have rust on him when he comes back. He's just got to. There's just no way you can go almost two years without playing in the NFL and deal with all the off-field stuff he's dealt with and how people view you when you're in the news for, you know, borderline criminal activity, sexual harassment, assault. You can't go through that and not have that psychologically affect you. So they're going to turn it over to Deshaun Watson, and I'm not sure he's going to be great. But Jacoby Brissett is not a playoff quarterback. And uh, that's why I would have made the trade for Garoppolo. I would have made the trade for Sam Darnold. I would have gotten Sam Darnold on the cheap. Carolina wanted to give him to the Browns, and they didn't want to take him. Uh, but what's good? What's good with the Browns? Defense looked good. I thought the defense looked good. A uh, lot of pressure on Baker Mayfield. Um, and, man, their running backs are so good. Nick Chubb is so good. And Kareem Hunt. I don't know personnel throughout the NFL, so I'm not going to like make a blanket statement that oh, I'm telling you Kareem Hunt's the best number two running back in the NFL. I'm just going to say, if anybody has a better number two running back than Kareem Hunt, you got something. Because I think Kareem Hunt runs so incredibly hard. That dude gives you everything he has on every carry. He does not yield an inch as a football player, he runs angry. He runs like he's got something to prove. And you got to love seeing a guy play that hard. Kareem Hunt is a uh, is a fun guy to watch play football and uh, a beast, a beast to bring down uh, in the open field. Okay, to the Bengals. <sighs> That's a bad loss, man. That's a bad loss. Why is it a bad loss? Because you say, well, five turnovers. Okay, five turnovers. I got turned over five times every week. You live with the five turnovers. You should have won the game anyway. How do they not challenge that Jamar Chase catch where he catches the ball with his foot on the goal line stripe? And 
they didn't challenge it. And Gene Steratore said it would have been a touchdown. Now, to get Gene Steratore to say anything that criticizes the officials is like stop the presses. So they didn't get any points out of that because they went for it on fourth down and didn't get anything. So they got no points out of that. And that was late in the game. So that's a huge mistake. I said it on Twitter. I'll say it again. You go back and watch the blocked extra point after they score on the final play, which, by the way, Jamar Chase, what a, what a, what a, what was the DB doing for the Steelers, letting Jamar Chase just have a free release right to the corner of the end zone? Thank you. And Burrow put it right on the money. So the Bengals look like they're going to win it on a final play of regulation extra point. And Minka Fitzpatrick blocks the PAT. And I love Charles Davis as an analyst, but he blew this. He said it was because of the snap. Now, the snap wasn't great, but the snap was not why the point got blocked. The reason the point got blocked was because the guy on the left side of the end of the line, I think it was 88, the tight end, he went with the farthest outside pursuit on the block, and he never touched Minka Fitzpatrick coming inside him. The outside guy went wide. you got to read that and let him go because he's not getting to the kicker going that wide. You can't get to the kicker to block it by, you know, circling around the 275 outer belt, which is how that guy was routing to the kicker. You've got to make the inside guy your primary responsibility as the guy on the end of the special team's block. You just do. you got to at least chip Minka Fitzpatrick. You've got to get a hand on him. He didn't get a hand on him. And that's unforgivable. That cost them that point. Cost them that point. Cost them the game. Cost them the game. So that's something. And then this is less something but still something. What are you doing punting? with 15 seconds on the play clock, with like a minute and change left in a game. What are you doing? Why would you give the Steelers any more time? I know you're saying, oh, we want to give Mitch Trubisky more time to make a game-ending turnover. Yeah, maybe that's maybe that was the strategy. Okay, but they lost the game because Chris Boswell was not missing a second 50-yard game-winning field goal. He got lucky the first time when he clanged it off the upright. He was not missing a second one. Your whole goal there was don't let Chris Boswell have a chance to beat us. And you gave him a chance, and he beat you. Now to the Steelers. Okay. You're screwed. (laughs) I hate to tell you this, Steeler fans. You're screwed. You got five turnovers, one of which was a pick six, and you still needed the Bengals to screw it up in three different ways for you to win that game. I know you're excited about winning. You got T.J. Watt hurt, (laughs) and you got Mitch Trubisky at quarterback, and you got Najee Harris hurt. You are ski-rude, Pittsburgh Steelers. You are not going to be 500 this year. You're not. So um, get used to it. And that's uh, to be expected, kind of, because you lose Ben Roethlisberger, you lose a Hall of Fame quarterback, uh, multiple Super Bowl-type quarterback. Uh, I get it. I get it. But still, uh, you wanted to roll with Mitch Trubisky uh, or Mason Rudolph. Okay. Okay. Um, but Steelers, you're not going anywhere. You're 8-9 you're and nine at best. Eight and nine at best. 
Okay, now to the faith portion of the podcast. And let me just throw out to you all uh, another sponsor that I would like to mention. Uh, my friends at, listen closely, Miam Cake. Now, what did I say? Did I say yum cake? Yum cake? Yum cake? Kind of sounds like yum. Miam, M-I-A-M, Miam Cake, M-I-A-M Cake.com is the website for wedding cakes and the most amazing vegan chocolate you've ever eaten in your life. And I think the chocolate is gluten-free. I think it's sugar-free. It's made from coffee from the cocoa plant. The genius behind Miam Cake, M-I-A-M, Miam Cake, is a personal friend and an amazing, amazing person. So... I know you're like, I'm a guy. I don't need cake. Okay, but if you got a daughter who's getting married or you're a corporate guy and you're looking for phenomenal corporate gifts, trick out a corporate dinner, like chocolates, bonbons, anything like that, the filling, any, her chocolates are amazing. A couple years ago on my birthday when she was just starting her chocolate business, she gave me chocolates for my birthday. She and her husband are friends of uh, our family. <laughs> amazing chocolates okay so you want chocolates you want cake wedding cake ornate as as beautiful a cake as you ever see miam cake m-i-a-m miam i believe is french for yum there's a story behind miam ask them the story they'll tell it to you it's a really cool story about her dad uh who was a uh her dad was a rock star and i don't mean that uh figuratively i mean that literally her dad was a rock star with legitimate hits, YouTube channel, everything. So, Miam Cake, M-I-A-M, MiamCake.com. Okay, faith portion of the podcast. Uh, true confession. Today's my birthday. By the time you're hearing this, it will not be my birthday, but today's my birthday. And it's um, it's a day when you, you know, I think we all naturally on our birthday take a little stock of where we are, are we where we want to be? Where are we going? How much time do we have left? All that kind of stuff. Um, I've had a very low-key birthday, exactly as I wanted. I got to spend a little bit of time with my wife, not much, because she's super busy. And um, I got a call from my daughter at college, two of them actually, which is nice. And uh, that's about it. Nothing else landmarky, okay? And so I sat down this morning and I thought about it you know, my birthday, and I thought about uh, my life. And is everything in my life the way I want it? Uh, no, it's not. I'd like to, I'd like to make more money. <laughs> I'd like to make more money. I would. I used to make more money. And I've chosen uh, the direction my career has gone in because I wanted to do something that I thought was more important than what I used to do. I'm not trying to be self-important, but I talk about things now that I believe have more impact, more consequence, more weight than the things I used to talk about. I still enjoy talking about sports with you guys, but I don't want to do it every day because I'd reached a point in my life where I felt a professional emptiness talking about things that were just recreational, shall we say. There's nothing wrong with recreation. It's good. But at this point in our 
nation's history and the world's history, I think I have um, an ability to engage on topics that are important in a way that I hope makes people think. I hope it makes them think critically. I hope it makes them think analytically. I hope it makes them examine their choices and their preconceptions. And I hope it calls them to not coast into stances on certain things that it's easy to coast into. What am I talking about? Well, number one, I would be talking about your eternal future. Uh, You guys know that um, Chris and I have talked on this podcast about there's one way to heaven. Uh, And that way, way to heaven is not anything you do. It's not any accomplishments you accomplish here. It's not a checklist of did I do more good than bad. The one way to heaven is to realize you can't do it. Only Jesus could do it. He did it, and he makes available to you his qualification when you claim what he did for you at the cross as your only qualification to be viewed by God as acceptable, sinless, blameless, redeemed. That's it. That's the only way. That's my number one priority in life is to make sure that everyone who has any kind of interaction with me knows that salvation comes through faith in what Jesus did, not in anything you have done or could do. That's number one. But number two, if that was all there was to being a Christian, you could say, well, then why doesn't God just take me to heaven the minute I accept Christ as my Savior? And that would be a good question. And the reason why he doesn't do that is because he has work for you, me, and everyone else who's accepted Christ to do here. And because those who have not accepted Christ, he's giving you more time to accept Christ as your Savior. So as someone who has accepted Christ as my Savior, which was not until my mid-30s did I really understand that the transaction was accomplished by Christ, not by me, and never could be accomplished by me, but that was a weight off my mind because for most of my life I had wondered, am I good enough? Am I good enough? Am I good enough? And Satan likes to tell you that nagging little voice, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. And for my whole life I searched for an answer to that question, and finally I realized the answer to that question is, You're right. I'm not good enough. But you know what? I didn't have to be because Jesus was. That was a liberating moment for me, and I would hope that it is a liberating moment for you. So I said Satan, and now a lot of people get creeped out because they're like, you really believe in Satan? Yes, because Satan's real. The Bible says he's real. And you look around our world today, and I see him many places. I see Satan uh, deeply deeply at work in the vile, disgusting, horrific mutilation of our children in quote-unquote gender-affirming surgeries. 
I say I have nothing bad to say about any young person who is trapped in the evil of transgenderism. It is not the young person's fault. They are being lied to and trapped, victimized by an evil ideology, by an evil ideology. A loving God, a perfect God, does not make people the wrong sex. He just does not. A loving God, a perfect God, does not make mistakes. And so how do we attribute the feelings of kids who say that, well, I was born a boy, but I think I'm a girl? That's a lie they're being told by Satan. It's a lie being reinforced by some of their teachers, by some of the adults in their life, by the culture, by TikTok, by Instagram, by whatever. They're being sold a lie. And that is a horrendous evil. And I'm making it a priority to try to speak as much truth about that as I can. On my radio show, on this podcast, everywhere. The other thing that I see as a more insidious danger to our culture today is the lack of utter disdain for the proliferation of lies from people who are given positions of leadership. We're approaching a midterm election, and I am not making the claim that one political party has a monopoly on telling the truth. But I will make the claim that there is one political party that embraces positions that are decidedly evil positions. Abortion is an evil position. Demonizing half the public as extremist is an evil position. Embracing the what would be the complete obliteration of Title IX and opportunities for girls in sports by saying that biological boys can play girl sports just because they pretend they're a girl is an evil position. And so many politicians on both sides of the aisle will look you right in the eye in a campaign commercial and lie to your face, lie to your face about positions they have had, uh, policy positions that they have that they claim they do not have or that they claim they did not advocate for in the past. These people are liars. And that is a violation of God's law. Lying is a violation of God's law. It's against one of the Ten Commandments. And so I want to call out people who lie and do it to increase their own personal power, prominence, and prestige. Those are my passions. I believe those are biblically inspired passions because as I study the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest... uh, discourse ever. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, if you'd like to read it. Jesus calls out hypocrisy, calls out lying, calls out people who are about power. He calls out people who uh, would um, twist truth into ways that would suck others down into the vortex of their evil. He calls all these things out. And I'm old enough not to care what people think of me for saying these things because being winning, like winning is not 
I don't want to say winning is not important to me. Winning on these issues is not important to me. Winning on these issues is very important to me. But winning on these issues is not the most important thing to me. Being aligned with what the Bible says is the most important thing to me. Being aligned with the right side of these issues is the most important thing to me. Whatever befalls me for saying the things I say, and I would tell you that one of the things that has befallen me is that I've pretty much torched any opportunity I ever have to uh, return to uh, any kind of mainstream sports uh, position. Because you can't say the things that I say about the transgender movement. You can't say the things that I say about some of the other evils in our society and uh, appeal to a broad spectrum of people. People might think I'm narrow-minded. People might think that my positions are only going to be accepted by a very narrow portion of my listeners. I am totally okay with that. Because as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many find it, but narrow is the gate, and narrow is the path that leads to eternal life, and few find it. I've been blessed to have been led to that narrow gate, that narrow place in the path. It's right at the foot of the cross. And I'm not going to waste another minute of my life being silent about evil things that threaten to take someone into the pit of hell for their eternal future. That's where I'm coming from today, tomorrow, and every day thereafter. And I hope it's a journey you'll go on me with. Thank you for listening. May God be real in your life, and may the Bible speak to you loudly, unequivocally, truthfully. Talk to you again soon.